Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fam, Friends, and Magic, a Magic the Gathering podcast brought to you by Swagoy Gaming. My name is Bill Grennan. Everyone calls me Brasky, and today I am joined by Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins, Mr. Toolshed, Sean Gallagher, and a new guest subbing in for the Mighty Linguini, Caroline Cavanaugh this week. It is Easy Mode, Max Sorgenfry. What is up, fam? How are we all Hello. doing? Uh, hey, 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 everybody. Max, gotta say... Welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you. One of our newest team members of uh, Swagoy on the Magic team. How's it going, my friend? It's going good. Thank you for having me. How's everyone else doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. I uh, wish I had a little bit more Magic played today, but, you know. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but, man, I woke up like a kid on Christmas morning this morning, and I was pretty devastated that I played all of one match in uh, what is now eight hours? So... Yeah. And counting. And counting. It's, <laughs> and counting. And we're still going. You know, if, wow. if, when, when people ask me that kind of thing, I sit there and just say, well, how's it going, Brasky? I go, I'm just, you know, waiting for the server. <laughs> so you played one match. That that must be nice. Well, because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I haven't played any. So. I'm, I'm on a rip-roaring oh, yeah. pace of about a, about a game an hour. A best of one game of a game an hour, so that's that's kind of the basis where we're at right now. Croaky said a tweet today where it's like he spent two hundred fifty pounds, which is I have no idea how much that is in American dollars. But he's like, I played five matches and spent two hundred fifty pounds on the set. Right now, I'm at fifty pounds a game, or fifty pounds a match, which is pretty nice. <laughs> so fifty two hundred fifty pounds. How much is that in Sean dollars? Oh, uh, like four hundred eighty four point five. I think if my math is on. Repeating, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. of course, of course. That's a that's a key spot there. <laughs> well, I, the 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 cat's out of the bag, but the cat is also not logged into Magic Arena yet because as is, it, as, is that because it's in the oven or it's might it might just be if it wasn't already banned. It's it's a matter yeah, not of in standard. Fact. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, it doesn't matter if you'd like to play standard or historic on Magic Arena because chances are if you logged in uh, on this day, which is Thursday, the seventeenth of September, you might not get in there just about yet because there's been an issue or two uh with uh, the magic arena client so that's it's it's unfortunate that that's kind of where things have have started so far it's like the what's the big story well the big story is that no one can play the game yet but uh, i will say this uh it has become a little bit more stable in the past like 30 minutes or so we're recording at like 8 30 in central time in the evening and i've been able to log in successfully twice but I oh, found wow. I found a little a little system that gets me in there, so a little something I'm gonna let you guys in on is the fact that uh, occasionally because I'm not aware of how many windows I have open at one single time, I will open Magic Arena, downsize it, and then when I come back to my computer, I will open Magic Arena again, and then I have two Magic Arena windows open, and obviously when that happens, it disconnects the other one. But what I have found, thanks to a little crack research on what's called the internet. I have found mm. that if you open a Magic Arena window and it's having trouble, you get the black screen or whatever, just open a second one. It will disconnect the old one and it will connect you properly to the to the server that time. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's good to know. If it doesn't work the first time, just keep connecting and reconnecting between the windows and eventually it will just be like, boom, there you go. You're good to go. Wow. Yeah. I guess that's just the future of Magic Arena. True. Yeah, it's 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 what I yeah. call yeah. It's basically duct taping. It's duct taping the arena client together so that something can work. Not not only show. do you need to close in between matches, you now need to close in between launches. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> that's exciting. Every match you have to log in to two different times now to get it back in. That's exciting. It's just like D sideboarding. <laughs> I want to I want to go into an LGS that's just called uh, the Arena. And uh, every time you play like a single game at that LGS, you have to walk out of the building and walk back in again. <laughs> Perfect. That's like the equivalent of that. But before, you know, whenever it is that we do see some sort of uh, continuity to a client where we can all play the game consistently, uh, we were obviously all kind of looking forward to playing the game. And so we were kind of deck brewing. We were doing a lot of things this week in Magic and this past weekend as well. So that's why I would like to know how your week in Magic has been. Eric, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, my week essentially started with the weekend, um, which I got a eight and six finish at the Mythic Invitational with mono red goblins. It wasn't necessarily the the result I was hoping for, but my hope was essentially unrealistic. I guess it was like top sixteen because that was like where the real prizes started. I I got slightly better than a min cash making day two, but if you make top sixteen, you would have got an invite to the the Zendikar Championship and the Pro Tour Finals. Uh, so I missed on that, um, but that's, you know, that, that only 16 people got that. So, like, was a little unrealistic to, to hope for that, I guess. But then uh, after that, uh, basically just took a little bit of time off, waited for the next set to drop. I uh, got to play in the preview event, uh, thanks to Wizards, and uh, that was really fun. Brewed up a ton of decks, got a lot of cool experiences playing that. Then I was all excited for today, and then, yeah, so... Hopefully tomorrow we get to play some more, and I'll be excited for that. Uh, hopefully by this time tomorrow, I would have already played like a bunch of matches on Arena. So that'd be really cool. And and talk a little bit about the uh, kind of creators event, the pre-release event that you did. What was some of the what was some of the favorite decks that you kind of were there any limitations to the decks that you had to build or got to build? But what was your favorite decks that you that you saw in play? Uh, like Watsy didn't put any limitations on it. I, I personally did. So I didn't want to build anything that I knew was already like really solid or didn't like really incorporate new cards, namely teamer adventures. So like, I didn't want to just like come in there with like teamer adventures, which is essentially, you know, Thr Throne of Eldraine, right? Like all the, that entire set. And it was just like, what's a new card? You're like, I guess I could put Lotus Cobra in because I like put a bunch of lands into play or something, you know? Um, but that would be like the only card. So what I really wanted to do was like test new things. Um, I made roughly about 20 decks and a little bit later we'll talk about why some of those decks didn't really work. Yeah, a lot of the decks were really fun. Uh, Lotus Cobra, Omnath are basically as good as people th say they are. And I don't know, like there's like a, some other cool things with like rogues and warriors and stuff like that. And so it was, a lot, it was a lot of fun to play and to see. One of the things I will say about the set is that make sure that your mana works that you don't have shocklands anymore so i like tried some rakdos stuff and it was like really tough i think you have to if you were going to do something like that if you want to play like rakdos i think it has to be like mostly mono red or mono black splashing the other color because you don't have one of the pathways so be very aware when you're like building your deck the pathways will make your decks function um they're not just like cool lands that's that's i'm like making like mental notes of that as well sitting there is that you know, they, they didn't release, it was like six, six pathways yeah, is what we got. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, in that you can kind of get a sense of being like, okay, these are the colors of the decks I'm going to build. If I'm going to build a, a combination of colors that does not have a pathway, you're probably going to have a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sean, how was your week in Magic? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty good week, I guess. I mean, I didn't really, let's see, Saturday we played in the... Zendikar Rising Qualifier Weekend. I went 2-3, which was not optimal. Uh, played Mono Green Aggro. 
you know, I, I told myself it was going to be a good deck choice and ended up being pretty reasonable for the most part. Just a couple bad beats, you know, happens. It's a tough tournament. I mean, I did end up losing to Mono Blue, where I, the morning of, I was like, ah, there's cards in my sideboard that are for the Mono Blue matchup, but no way anyone's playing that today. So I cut all four of them. And my last loss of the day was to Mono Blue to like give me a nice like little backhand across my cheek. That was pretty exciting. Moving on from that, I did play in the PAX uh, events this week. Uh, so for those of you at home who don't know, they are four-round preliminary tournaments where if you 3-1 or 4-0, you get to play on their Sunday tournament, which happens to be this Sunday, the, I'm going to assume the 21st. I can double check. Sunday the 20th is when it will be. Also, if you 3-1 or 4-0, you get to make it to the next qualifier weekend, which is the equivalent of top 1,200 on Mythic Ladder. So we're calling it the Skip the Ladder event. So I know a couple of us here are able to skip the ladder now, myself included. So I played Sultai, you know, the old faithful Sultai and Standard to a 3-0-1 finish. So that was pretty exciting. Max was there to watch and... It was pretty pretty nice that I don't have to play ranked ladder and I get to play my nice sly rogues as much as I want on the ladder and not have to care about my rank this season. That's got to feel good. It just kind of it's a little it's freeing, right? It's a little it's like oh yeah. I can play whatever I want. I don't necessarily have to because normally that's you know if you're going to be spiking it, it's like well it's not about whether or not you like the deck. You just play the things that are going to win. This time you can just be like you know what I've done that. Now I'm just going to jank it. Yeah, exactly. I mean like the not having to finish top twelve. I mean I'm probably still going to grind ladder. But, like, it's not like it was last season where it's like, I need to play to make top 1,200. Now it's like I can kind of take it easy. I don't need to play for hours on the day. I can just, like, come in, leave, do whatever I want, play my rogues, and hopefully kill people with them. So, yeah, it's nice and refreshing to not have to play ranked ladder as a necessity. Nice, nice. It's also refreshing to have a guest on the podcast, and that is Max. I would like to know how your Wicked Magic has been. Uh, It was... It was kind of the same as Sean's. I also played in the qualifier weekend, but I did way better than him. I went 0-3. <laughs> and um, I was playing Sultai, and I just got crushed by Sacrifice and then lost in the mirror. But then I also then I rallied back, and I played the, the same Skip the Ladder event. I went 3-1 and one with Sultai and Standard, and now I get to play in the Sunday thing. Just joining, I get to skip the ladder, and if I can crush it, I get some tickets and... I'll buy something cool off their prize wall. I'm not really sure. Booster boxes for everyone. How about that? Oh, if, I, if I do good enough, everyone gets a box. See, this is, <laughs> I knew there's a reason we brought you on the podcast this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for for promises of riches. Yep. For yes. spoils of adventure, a card I'll talk about later. Yeah. I think he got on the podcast with that. That was that was said before the podcast. We just made him say it uh, on, rec on record. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah. Twisting my arm here. <laughs> Well, Sean, I gotta be I gotta be with you in the fact that uh when you posted that that Demir Rogue list, uh, <laughs> I was like, Oh, hello. What is yeah. what are you? You look fun. And so that is the well, one, it just happened to be and I'll kinda I can probably get in that a little bit later because it might belong on the salt channel. But it's the fact that uh when I did open up all of my packs and kinda look at what was what was before me in terms of what I wanted to play, it was the fact that uh Zareth San the Trickster um, which I'll probably talk about a little bit later on, but that I opened three of them in my pre-order. So I was like, well, I was looking to spend minimal wild cards to play the, to play a deck on day one, and that just ended up lining up perfectly. So playing that Demir Rogue deck, I mean, 
we've discussed before on this podcast that uh, the style of decks I like to play do do not make me many friends in the game as a uh, Nexus of Fate best of one player from way back in the day because I'm that type of person. So when you show me a deck that is a Demir Flash Mill Flyers deck, I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to have a fantastic time with that. And I got to say the one, like it's a very minor interaction, but it's just something that is just so satisfying is when your opponent scries and then they keep one on top or put one on the bottom, but the second they scry and put one on top and then you flash in a rogue and mill it from the top of their library. It's just, Ooh. it's one of the best feelings in the world. That is some gas. That is nice. Uh, one nice thing about the blue black rogue stack, which I did not know until recently is uh, since we're in black, we get to play cards like duress some of the lands uh, you can actually duress away from your opponent. So like uh, the red, it's not a pathway, but it's the red modal spell that on the front half is an instant or a sorcery and on the back half is a land. You can duress the spell away from them and essentially take a land away from them with a duress. So getting to do that in rogues is pretty nice. You bring up a great point, and that is the fact of like, if if you put something like that in your hand, so if you put Valakut, Valakut Awakening, in your hand mm -hmm. um is it, are you directed does does one side have to be face up or could you uh like put the land side in your hand if you did that and you reveal your hand can they not throw that away Ooh, i think i i think the cards have a front side and the front side is always front facing and then the back side is the back of the card so i think it always has to be the spell front and then when you play it, you can play it as the backside. I think is how it works. I think you're correct, because now that I look at the card, the Valakut Awakening part has, mm -hmm. in the top left corner, there is an arrow pointing up. And then on the, Val the Valakut Stoneforge, which is the land spot, that has an arrow pointing up and an arrow pointing down, which leads me mm -hmm. to believe that, that is the, that's the backside of the card. So I guess the Valakut Awakening part has to be facing up. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I learned something today. Right. I need, uh, Eric, when you edit this, we're going to need like one of those, the more you know, kind of <laughs> spots right in that part of the podcast. Is it, are, are you, so you're a, the Reading Rainbow thing, right? Oh, sure. Uh, not like the G.I. Joe? Uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> I mean, learning is half the battle, but also, I mean, from where we're at, from where we're at starting the client is half the battle. So that's, <laughs> that that's going to be yeah, kind of like the entire it's. battle. Yes. <laughs> this actually leads really well into our next segment, but there was a... I saw it on uh, Ali Warfield's Twitter, but I, I don't know where it originated from. Uh, but it basically said, like, the top five cards that you'll miss and, like, the top, you know, five cards that you're you're happy are gone, right? I couldn't think of anything to put in the top part. I could think of, like, a million things to put in the bottom part, starting with Aethergust. But, like, then we were talking in the in the chat, uh, like our Segway chat, and it was like, what about, like, Knight of the Ebon Legion? What about, like, Venerated Loxodon and all these cards? And I'm like... I mean, I will miss those cards, but they've been gone for, like, two years anyway. They, like, haven't been playable since, like, Loxodon wasn't playable since, like, Dominaria left. And then, like, Night of the Ebon Legion, like, when all, of, like, the, the vampires rotated, that basically rotated, too. So, like, it just didn't really, it didn't really hit me that they were leaving. Yeah, I went through. I haven't seen them in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went through on my end, and yeah, I had my, I had my I'll miss you things, which is usual, my usual uh bs of grixis or other types of blue shenanigans so it was like nico bolas dragon god unmoored ego dovin's veto like that kind of stuff but then my my i'm not i'm happy to see gone i called that section don't ever talk to me or my son ever again 
<laughs> and that involved like hydroid crisis and mayhem devil and shifting ceratops because that's a that's a fun and fair card is, it, is your son nickel Bolas? oh yeah yes <laughs> my my list was a piece of artistic expression which is that my i'll miss you is the same as good riddance which is nissa hydroid crisis aethergust casualties of war and uh narset like i loved playing with the cards but i hated playing against them and I can't wait to like cast a normal card draw spell without hearing the womp, 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 womp of Narset just denying you. Yeah. Poor Chemister's insight. Not be embarrassed. Like you yeah. can't even you can't even say, "Oh, I'll miss Chemister's insight" because that rotated when War of the Spark got printed. So yeah. that's that's kind of that's to go back to cards you'll miss. Like a lot of cards rotated when War of the Spark hit, very unofficially, but <laughs> instance unplayable went to fairy time around the conference. <laughs> Yeah, nothing like instance and card draw spells being unplayable. <laughs> yeah. to, just does not translate to fun magic for a lot right. of people. <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. That the uh, it's I find that the cards that I'm hate that I hate the most are the ones that I also love playing the most. It's just I don't want to see them. Like I've I, this this Demir Rogues deck has been fantastic. I think uh, in the games that I've played, the only games I've lost are the Mirror. At which point, of course, I'm tilting off of that because how dare you play the cards that I'm playing? I'm the one who's supposed to, you know, annoy the absolute living hell out of my opponent. Don't be doing that to me. That's not fair. You can't do that. And speaking of which, that we've had, you know, a little bit of time to jump in with some of these cards a little bit, even when the client might just start working a little bit. We do have our favorite cards, which the ones that we're kind of looking forward to the most of playing that uh, we hope at least a handful are actually playable and not ones that we're going to look back, you know, two years from now and saying, boy, well, that would have been great. Uh, that's That's kind of where... We wanted to go with the podcast on this time. It's kind of talk about each of us kind of giving out a handful of some of our most favorite cards, the cards that we're looking most forward to playing in a lot of different ways. And so to kind of kick us off, we're going to start off with our, our guest. Max, what, what, what's a card that you have seen from Zendikar Rising that you, are, uh, that you either are super hyped to play or just think is super interesting? Yeah, the uh, Skyclave Cleric slash Skyclave Basilica. So this is uh, a modal dual phase card. The front face is one and a white for a 1-3 that when it enters the battlefield, you gain two life, and it's a core cleric. Um, and the backside is just a tapped white land. So this card has like a few things that I want to talk about, which is it does seem to fit the bill of like a card that is going to be really good in a control deck because it's situational, but you don't get punished for its situationalness. Uh, as often as something like Birth of Miletus, you would think. But I do expect there to be some tension where you have, like, three lands in your hand and a Shatter of the Sky, and it's like, is this Skyclave Cleric going to be better as a 1-3 that gains me two, but maybe I don't draw my fourth land? Or do I have to play this tapped and just get to my fourth land guaranteed for Shatter of the Sky? So I can definitely... I'm excited to play with it to see how it feels, um, but I can also already kind of imagine the the tense scenarios that it's going to create just on between turns one through three. But that's definitely a card that I think is one of the more playable, like uncommon level modal dual face cards. Yeah. Those modal du dual faces in general, I just, I, I'm, I really like the, that mechanic. I really like what they're doing with those dual face cards. Not to say that dual face cards have never been seen before, um, but just these types of dual face cards, the way in which you can use them, uh, I like having options, and when you have options, even if something as small as something like that, is a lot of fun to play. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm I'm excited to gain two life. That's 
If if you play a deck with four of these and four birth Thumbelitas, it's one of those just aggro decks, stay at home, don't even sleeve up kind of situations because it might be it might end up it just being good enough that you don't need to run spot removal. You can just run uh, sweepers and blockers. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how the format shapes up. I like it. Jump in a little bit. I was just like, in terms of like the cards in the set, I think it's one of the more tame cards. Like it doesn't do anything busted, but it is like one of those cards, like Revitalize, for example, which like while Revitalize is by no means an exciting magic card, will definitely see play. So I definitely kind of agree on your point where it's like this card will probably see some degree of play. How much is to be determined, but. It is pretty exciting, I think. And what's exciting to you, my friend? What's a card that stands out to you? All right. <laughs> it's a card that, like, when this card first got printed or revealed, I was like, uh, I don't know. I think this card's kind of mopey, whatever. But uh, Jace Mirror Mage, um, this is, like, one of the first cards that got spoiled out of the set. It's kind of a unique design. It's one blue-blue, but it has Kicker for two colorless mana. Uh, when he comes into play, if he was kicked, you create an exact copy of it, and its starting loyalty is one. So this Jace Mirror Mage, one blue blue, comes in with four loyalty, has a plus one ability of Scry 2. Not that exciting. We've seen Scry 1 on uh, various Planeswalkers in the past. Sahili, Ray, for example, Scryed 1 and dealt 1 damage. So like plus one to Scry, not super exciting. But a three mana Planeswalker is like very quick. We saw Narset, Teferi, Time Raveler, Tibble. Like three mana Planeswalkers have almost always get played in some degree, uh, way, shape, or form. Uh, so my guess is this will get played. Uh, and then it's zero ability is draw a card and reveal it. Remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's converted mana cost from Jace Mirror Mage. So you like plus one to scry to the first turn maybe. So it's a five loyalty. And then you can just start zeroing it every time, every turn for a little bit. Let's say your deck is like 26 lands. So you probably have like a 40% chance to hit lands where you don't lose any converted mana cost. And then you're probably hitting like twos and threes or something like that off this J. So you're probably drawing at least two or three cards, which is pretty decent, I think. And then, God forbid, if you ever get to actually kick it and put two different Jaces into play, you just get to scry two with your baby, like your, it's not a baby. We already have baby Jace. Your ethereal Jace? It's like a Ooh, spirit. Is, well, we already had ethereal Jace because there was the pirate Jace, right? Your, mi kind of a, your mirror Jace. Okay, sure. We'll go with Mirror Jace. Okay. The, oh, the Mirror Image Jace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Okay, so the Mirror Image Jace, uh, you get to plus two, plus one that one to scry two, and then you just, like, stack a land on top, and then you zero your big Jace, and boom, you're cooking with gas. So it's possible this card is actually better than what people are giving it credit for, but I am pretty excited about this card. It's The ceiling's pretty high, I think, for this one. Yeah, it looked as though it was something that, that seemed good and also kind of fair which we're not used to seeing for a three-mana Planeswalker. We're so used to just yeah. seeing a three-mana Planeswalker and going, well, okay, here's the thing I'm going to be mad about for the next 12 months. And instead, we see something that's like, okay, these are interesting things. I can do something with it. It should be pretty cool. So, Sean, what you're telling me is you're going to cast a three-mana Planeswalker and I can still do everything that I normally would? Like, yeah. I, I, like I cast instance, I can still draw cards. Uh, yeah, what, what, what's wrong with your Planeswalker? I can gain life. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Not used to that one. Wait, yeah. now I think there's some secret text on the card. Uh, opponents, every <laughs> opponents can't play more than one card on their turn for the next 12 turns. Okay, yeah. No, it seems fine. Oh, it's, it's the, the fine print. Yeah. It, yeah. There is, there, you, we have to at least mention the Teferi's Ageless Insight interaction where Teferi's Ageless Insight's a replacement effect for the zero. So you don't actually reveal the card and he doesn't lose loyalty. 
So if you have a if you have a Teferi's Angel Insight in play, that's two blue blue enchantment. Basically, if you would ever draw any card except your draw step, you draw two. You draw an extra one instead, um, or two instead. And if you zero your Jace, it is a replacement effect. So that could be a little win more. But we've also seen that um, enchantment see some play in Historic. So um, maybe it's good enough in Standard now that you can curve into it. But that is also pretty slow. So we'll see. A blue mage can hope, Max. Don't worry. A blue mage can hope. Just let me cast my Planeswalker in my enchantment. Just, just yeah. sit back, opponents. Yeah. Let Don't me do, do anything. <laughs> and uh, if if that's what Sean's hopeful for uh, going into this spot, Eric, what is a card that stands out to you that either uh, gives you hope or banishes hope away? All right, so I'm going to cheat more than once probably in this in this segment. <laughs> I'm cheating here because um, one of the cards that I was most excited for and then instantly not excited for uh, was a card called Base Camp. So Base Camp is a land. That um, when I first read it, I was like, this is awesome, right? So it taps Rakoas, but it also taps to add one mana of any color. And you can only spend this mana to cast Cleric, Rogue, Warrior, or Wizard spell, or activate an ability of a Cleric, Rogue, Warrior, or a Wizard. So it's a it's a party land, right? It's a party card. It, it's exactly, it's a party card. Well, the party starts off real slow because the card comes into play tapped. And I just like don't know why that is. That's because um, you can't show up to the party until at least 11 o'clock here. <laughs> I mean, I Everyone guess. Knows that. Yeah, then don't call it <laughs> base camp. Up... Call it fashionably late. Yeah. yeah. If you show up early, you're lame, Eric. You can't show <laughs> yeah. up on time. So what, 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 the reason I'm, like, kind of upset about it is, like, the creature decks want to, like, start, you know, on like, on time. They want to curve out. You're, like, not rewarded for drawing multiple of these in your hand. Like, it's pretty – it makes your deck pretty slow and pretty mopey. I don't know if, like, if they were worried about something like base camp being busted because it, like, allowed you to have, like, perfect mana in your rogue deck, then, like, put counters on it and say, like, after you've used two or three times, like, you can't produce colored mana towards those things anymore. But, like, have it come into play on tap because that, like, that's, like, a nice way to, like, fix in the early game. And, like, later in the game, like, you've hopefully played more lands and you can use your, you can use your pathways or whatever to cast your party cards. And then... The reason that I'm, I'm kind of cheating here is another card I wanted to talk about, which I kind of hinted at earlier, was Omnath. I think Omnath is a card that is incredibly powerful. And I'm like not saying it's like not one of my least... I'm not saying it's like my least favorite card, but I think this is an example of a card that they thought was going to be like very restricted on how you could cast it. So for those that haven't seen Omnath, um, you haven't looked at the spoiler or heard anybody talk for like the last two days. Um, basically, it is red, green, white, and blue. For a 4-4, when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, and landfall, and it's a little interesting on how this works, it always triggers when you play a land, but then it counts how many times it's triggered its ability. So the first time, it'll gain you 4 life, the second time, it'll make 4 colors of mana, which is the mana that it costs, so basically not black, and if it's the third time that the ability is triggered on that specific Omnath, then it'll deal 4 damage to each opponent and each Planeswalker that you don't control. So the reason I say that is, like, if I played a land and then played Omnath, and then played a land, it wouldn't trigger the second ability to trigger the first one because it, it's the first time that the Omnath has triggered. But so all of those things are incredibly powerful. Four mana, four, four for, you know, that draws a card when it comes to play, pretty powerful. All these abilities, pretty powerful. So Wizards put it in the set with four different colors of casting cost, thinking that would be a way to dissuade it from like being able to be cast on turn four. And we're like seeing it cast on turn three. And it's like, they need to figure out a way to make it more restricting to cast it. 
So one of the things I was thinking was like, maybe, you know, adding extra of the same color. Like a lot of the times that's like, like that's kind of harder because it's like restricting what else you can cast. For instance, say it was like, obviously the card is not going to be this color, but we'll say it's like red, red, white, white. You're not casting that in your Uro deck, right? So like, it's just like different things like that. Um, even if it was like green, green, red, red, it might still be hard to cast in that deck. Or maybe like triple green or triple red or triple blue or something like that. Those are harder to cast than four different colors. Because like, if, oh, go sorry. ahead. No, you can go I, ahead. I was going to say, what, do you remember, I can't remember what the name of the card was, but there was a couple cards that references. I think Lavinia did it where like, if you want to play this card, you can't cast it except for if you have four lands in play. I wouldn't have just, mm. like, making it so you can't cheat it into play off of Lotus Cobra, where, yeah. like, you have to sacrifice Omnath unless you control five or more lands or something like that to, like, make it more balanced. Not 100% sure that's good, but it seems like a good way to balance these kinds of cards. I wonder as well if, if it could have been, like, selective landfall. Instead of just a land, whenever a land comes into play, do this thing, is that it depends on what type of land comes into play. So that if cool. you play a planes, you gain four life. If you play... Uh, a, a forest, you add a second color of forest or something like that. If you play a yeah. mountain, you deal four damage. Like, that's the thing. It depends on the type of land that you had. That way, like, Triomes, super awesome, but the Triomes still come to play tap, you know, and do that kind of thing. Like, there's, something, <laughs> there's something you could do there. I don't know. I immediately don't like this suggestion because you just mentioned Triomes. Exactly. <laughs> also, land. why does this card need to draw a card? That's what I don't understand. That's what yes. I'm saying, is that why? I think they, they were like, we need a way to reward someone for paying four different colors of mana. And it's like, have they cast cards recently? Four different colors is nothing. I, I seem to remember a three mana three two that drew you a card and gained you some life when it came into play. And that card got banned. Yeah. So like, why, why do they keep printing draw a card on creatures? I just don't understand it. Like they just like expect us to not break cards that draw cards. Like, it's unbelievable. I just don't understand. The answer, I, the, the answer to a lot of the uh, questions that we'll have with these, I believe, is Commander. But, you know, it could go one way or the other. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's definitely a knock out of the park commander. for Commander. So Yeah, yeah the, the blue card, the blue part of the card is drawing. And then the yeah. white part is the landfall gain for. And the green is the landfall ramp. And the red, <laughs> wow, it's a four-color car. Wow, how could you possibly design something so innovative <laughs> i would rather see bad flying on this card like it gains flying until end of turn if you play an island instead of draw a card that's way more reasonable than yeah i want draft chaff like limited filler landfall abilities <laughs> I, I just like i hate i they've been doing this for years now where like they print these cards that like if i doom blade your omnath like i'm down advantage right like because you play your Omnath, you draw a card, and then I have to spend a removal spell on it. I'm basically down a card in that exchange. That's awful. I think that's just bad magic. Oh, man. This is like a, another rabbit hole we don't need to go down. <laughs> we could go back to base up. camp. <laughs> yeah. I did have some comments about, about base camp before yeah. we move on. What were your on. comments about base camp? I think Wizards tried to justify power level and flavor with base camp being tapped. Uh, like, the flavor is you have to set up your camp, so it comes into play tapped. But, like, we have also seen cards like Once Upon a Time completely fail because they went way overboard on getting the flavor right and they completely whiffed on power level. So they could have gone for the flavor of base camp by making it, like, rations. Like, charge counters, you know? You yeah. set up your base camp, you show up to your base camp, it's set up, and you're like, okay, I have three rations or three charge counters. Like, boom, there's the flavor of having a base camp set up to, like, you know, revitalize your party. And then you use them up 
like the base camp still has some use but like the food part i don't know i felt like they could have hit the flavor on it yeah. while keeping the power level in check like you mentioned because those rogue decks are trying to cast drown in the lock and if that that yeah, land doesn't cast, cast drown in the lock, so after you yeah. after you use up so many ration counters you flip base camp and it becomes useless base camp like, <laughs> it just becomes it, a yeah. color yeah it becomes it a ramps it, yeah it becomes a waste it just it taps yeah. for colorless mana that's all it is yeah well if we if we want to transition to a card that's uh that's on my list uh that uh is is boy i think just maybe even double the power level of omnath in a lot of different ways uh it just makes a lot of sense to me and it's it's the second one on my on my list but i want to get to it right now and that is that's cherix the raging isle which is two double blue for a legendary Leviathan Crab. Finally, I can make a, my Leviathan Crab deck. But it is a it is a four mana, zero seventeen, And then spells your opponent's cast that target Cherix the Raging Isle costs two more to cast, but you can pay three mana, and Cherix gets plus X minus X until the end of turn, where X is the number of islands you control. Um, the, this just screams of wonderful wonderful jank and i cannot wait to try to make this thing work in some way shape or form i have a interesting tidbit about cherix the raging isle that got pointed out to me by one of our teammates caroline cavanaugh it is one of the it is one of the um like the boards that you play on on arena i know most of you couldn't have seen it today <laughs> um but I, I i was playing a match and that was that was the the thing that she pointed out she was like this is yeah. the this is the crab you're playing on the crab's back what yeah. Even right. more so, even more so why I need to make a deck out of this ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous 017 crab creature. I love when they print these cards because most of the time islands are like basic island is like pretty weak and standard. The last time I remember like a blue base control deck being like very, or like a mono blue deck being super dope and standard was, uh, what was it? I can't remember the name of the, or it was like mono blue control, but it had four copies of Engulf the Shore and then it had. I can't remember the name of the card, but it was an artifact that you picked a color, and when you cast the spell of that color, you gained a life. So you would like play a bunch of those artifacts, and your deck was just mono blue, and <laughs> you just draw cards, and then you would bounce their board, and then you would shuffle your deck back together, and basically you would just deck your opponent or draw a bunch of cards that's how you kill your opponent. But uh, Engulf the Shores was bounce all creatures with power less than or equal to to your islands. So... This card, like, if there's a mono blue deck, like, this card, like, is potentially attacking for, like, five, six, seven pretty quick, which is pretty awesome. And and if it's if it's still going to attack for five, six, seven and still have a, a pretty big butt behind it, well, I'm in, 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 in yeah. any way, shape, or form. Exactly. I'm going to be twerking with Cherix. That's what I'm going to be doing at this point. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and now let's get to a, uh, a probably a, a card that's not of the Cherix level of power, but Max, what's, your, what's another card you got? All right, so this one is definitely the cross your fingers and hope it's good, because if it is, we're in a magical Christmas land where magic is all about fighting over resources and not about windmill slamming stupid bomb idiots. And this is Legion Angel. So this is two white-white for a vanilla flying 4-3, but it has an enter-the-battlefield ability. You may reveal a card you own named Legion Angel from outside the game and put it into your hand when it enters the battlefield. So you put one in your main deck and three in your sideboard. And when you draw this, you get to kind of start a chain, almost like a growth chamber guardian. And you get to have a four, three flyer that can block and attack. And if you shatter this guy, you get to draw a card and maybe it's good enough to just be a one of in a control deck. Maybe you don't need the sideboard space or maybe it's really bad. 
or maybe it's like just a one of in any like a random white weenie deck is like a curve topper we've seen cards like a johnny any of the four mana johnnies for the mono white aggro decks in the past just be like a one of curve topper that if you draw it and it's like you have your four lands in play like you could actually just run away with the game so i'm interested to see if this can find a home it might not but i'm i'm, I'm high on cards like this that that ask a lot of you so I wanna this this card I think is hilarious. So this is before your time, Max, and a little bit even before my time. It used to be a card called Squadron Hawk, which was a one and a white one one. When it came into play, you search your library for any car, number of cards named Squadron Hawk, and then put them into your hand. Okay, the reason we did this was because there's Jace the Mind Sculptor in the deck. You would use it as a way to clean your brainstorm. Awesome. I think Legion Angel is hilarious because it has a very similar effect, and Legion Angel is holding some sort of sword when Squadron Hawk was also known to wear sort of Feast and Famine pretty frequently. <laughs> I just think it's a nice flavor uh, reminder that the birds can hold swords every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. We'll see one more thing about why I kind of like this card when I get to my last card. But yeah, it's also a warrior for your party. So nice. one, one of the things I was going to bring up about Legion Angel, I, I while I was brewing uh, all this week for the preview event thing, one of the things I was thinking about was building like a black-white sacrifice theme deck uh, with like the moth and stuff. And I was like considering it for my fiend artisan like targets. So you get like fiend artisan for four, find legion angel, and then you're like, yeah, find another one on my sideboard. And just like, you're like, I'll find another one on my sideboard. It's <laughs> just like, you just have like this chain that you can get. So there's definitely, like originally I was like, this card is pretty bad. Uh, four mana, four three flyer that you like have to devote like probably three sideboard cards to, but I mean, it's probably it's not as bad as like I, you might think it is because uh, like I like basically like the first thing that happened was just like the fiend fiend artisan thing and I was like oh this is actually like, a pretty sweet part there but you know if you like Max was saying with like a control deck control decks are notorious for being able to like essentially see a lot of their deck so eventually you're just finding it like through things like opt or the the new opt or whatever is pretty sweet i i just want the the only thing that i wish they had which obviously wouldn't be broken at all is just to have the per persistent petitioners effect it's like legion angel you can pull one out of your sideboard you can also have any number of copies of legion angel in your sideboard <laughs> it counts as one slot i like somewhere like something like but it still could be like you still have to have 15 cards in your sideboard but you could have 15 legion angels in your sideboard if you want. <laughs> the legion of angels yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I think the, this card's really the seven dwarves. Yeah, I uh, I think this card's really unique, Max. I'm glad you brought it up because, like, I think a card like this is kind of hard to guess on its power level just because it's going to be on how standard shapes up. Like you said, maybe it's a curve topper for like a mono white or a blue white deck or something like that. Like, because like in the past we've had like blue white tempo decks that you know draw cards and play flyers and stuff like that. Maybe it's something like that, or maybe it's control finisher, but. This card, I think, is a little hard to judge on power level because power-wise, it's not that powerful, but it does come with, you know, essentially 16 power over, you know, 16 mana, but, like, four, four threes yeah. per four is not, you know, it's it's not great, but, you know, getting four copies of this card a, is pretty nice. As a control player, I like to see if creatures pass the groan test if they resolve, <laughs> and, like, Growth Chamber Guardian would pass the groan test pretty well and go, ugh. And I think Legion Angel might end up passing the control player groan test. If you don't have the essence scatter for it, then, uh, you know, you're in for it. But 
Yeah, I think I like, if I was playing like Blue White, it'd probably be like a two in my main deck kind of card because like there's a chance I want to draw it. But yeah, I definitely could see myself playing this in Blue White. It'd be, be, it'll be a lot, it'll be a fun format, that's for sure. Well, Sean, if you're also going to be playing Blue White, are there any other types of cards that are on your list that you're excited to put in any of those types of decks? Oh, Brasky, so many cards, but we only have so much time. Um, Number two on my list, uh, I'm sure we're going to, I think I've talked about it before, but uh, Seagate Stormcaller. I like to call it Slowcaster Mage, you know, a little bit different than Snapcaster Mage, but for those of you who don't know what Snapcaster Mage was, it was Tiago Chan. That's the name of the card. I couldn't think of the card the last time we talked about it, but anyway. So Snapcaster Mage was a one and a blue 2-1. When he came into play, gave a spell in your graveyard flashback. Flashback is kind of like escape. If you don't know what flashback is. Um, this card, very similar, one and a blue 2-1, same stats. Um, when it comes into play, you copy the next instant or sorcery spell you play, convert mana cost two or less. A little bit of a, a deck building restriction there, but, you know, two or less still a wide array of spells. Um, but the uh, crazy part about this card is it also has a kicker cost. So normally one and a blue, and then you can kick it for four and a blue, so seven mana total. And then uh, it copies the next two spells you play, or it copies the next spell twice. Sorry. So let's just say in a perfect world, we're at eight mana, we kick Seagate Stormcaller, and then we just cast Opt. We get to cast Opt three times, right? Am I reading that right? Yeah, cast Opt three times off of Seagate Stormcaller. Opting three times for eight mana, not super great, but it comes tied with a 2-1, pretty good. On the flip side, if we pay eight mana, or let's say nine mana, uh, we can eliminate three creatures where I've paid more than nine mana to kill three creatures before. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty good. This card definitely has some, it, and this card will definitely get played. I don't know if it's broken yet, but I'm definitely going to be playing around with it this week. It was something that I was interested in seeing. So I played against a deck that it was a, it was a blue red deck. It was an is it deck that had this in it. And when I initially looked at the card, I didn't realize it was when it enters the battlefield because what happened is that the card, jumped in went into the battlefield they played shock and dealt four damage to one of my bigger creatures and took it off and i was like and immediately i was like wait does it copy some does it copy the first spell every single time i'm like this is the most broken card i've ever seen and i went no 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 it's just a two one okay thank yeah, god i was i was a little it's worried definitely, it's definitely going to require a proactive strategy it's going to be you're, you're not going to really be happy to have your essence scatters and your neutralizes and your seagate stormcaller deck unless you can unless you've budgeted your deck like I have ten spells I can copy in two storm colors, or I have, or I'm just all in. Like I'm playing twenty freaking one and two drop instants and sorceries and all four storm colors, and I think that's going to be the thing we have to do as deck builders is like figure out like how bad is it to draw a spell that you can't copy, or how bad is it to draw too many of these without enough spells to copy with them. A quick question on this one: Correct me if I'm wrong, but this card is really really awesome. And is it Phoenix and Historic? Is it? No, because it does not cast the card. It's a copy. So Phoenix doesn't check how many yeah. times. Phoenix it rotated Brasky. We can't do that. That's why I said historic. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is one of the very confusing things that happens in Magic, where anything that says copy and put onto the stack is like they're not casting; they're just putting them there. Like, you know, I just thought of something. Like, what if we have? Okay, bear with me for one second. Oh, you no. know a card costs one mana that's pretty ni- or two mana that's pretty nice? Time just to recall. Oh, dang. <laughs> what if for four mana, we just take two extra turns? That's yeah. pretty Time nice. Stretch. Yeah. Right so, up. I mean, 
I don't think it'll get played in vintage, but it's a cube card. That's for sure. I'm definitely drafting. I mean, it's a it might be a played in vintage. Like vintage has a lot of busted cards, right? I guess like vintage does play a recall, wild time wild. walk, demonic tutor, vampiric tutor. Yeah. Although vampiric tutor doesn't really work because you put it on top and then you do it again and you shuffle left again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there's like a busted, a lot of busted cards. Uh, Merchant scroll. So. Vintage also just is famous for playing a bunch of wild cards in their sideboards every once yeah. in a while. So. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. That's a really cool card. I definitely am. I'm with you, Sean, on that one. Of that, this is something that, uh, as I as I craft and put the color blue into most of my decks, I will try to find an opportunity to stick that card in there as well. And oh, yeah, sure. Eric, what's a what's a card that's next on your list? Uh, so next on my list is Grackma Skyclave Ravager. Uh, so basically, the first time I read this card, which I will read for you, I didn't think it was very good. Uh, it's a green, black, and a generic mana for a 0-0. Zero, zero. Enters the battlefield. It enters with three plus one plus one counters on it. Whenever another creature you control dies, if it had a plus one plus one counter on it, put a plus one plus one counter on Grackmaw. When Grackmaw dies, uh, create a XX black and green Hydra creature token, where X is the number of plus one plus one counters on Grackmaw. A lot of words there. Basically, when I was thinking about it, I was like, Okay, so this goes into the plus one plus one counters deck, but the plus one plus one counters deck is white, uh, not black. It's, you know, white green. Then I was like, maybe we can do some Abzan stuff, like Pelucranos comes in with counters and stuff like that. And then I was just like watching someone stream and they were playing like a Sultai deck and they boarded this in against like a mono red deck. And they just like played it at three mana and the mono red player like attacked and they blocked with it. I know that's really crazy that someone attacked into a 3-3 with like their own 3-3 and the combat damage actually happened and like there wasn't anything else going on. But basically what ended up happening was is that Grackmaw traded with Bonecrusher Giant and then just popped out a 3-3. And there's just like no real synergies happening there that just like played a creature and did exactly what it was supposed to do. And I think that's like pretty pretty great. It just like, even if it is just a sideboard card or like maybe just like a, you know, a couple of in your deck that you just like, if the aggro decks are really powerful, right? You could just like trade this off and it, like even if they have like a removal spell, unless it's like something like Scorching Dragonfire, but if they have you know like the new uh, Royal Blanket on the name, but it's like the new Volcanic Hammer that deals three damage at sorcery speed, like they have to deal with it twice. They, it, like it kills it and then it comes back, right? So yeah, I, I think I think that this card is not like you know game changing or going to change standard at all or anything like that, but it's such a really nice card. And I, uh, if there is combat damage in this format or combat steps in this format, then this card will be very good. There always seems to be an opportunity to play sticky minions. If you have a minion that's just going to stick around in some way, shape, or form, it usually finds its way into some type of deck. Well, and also this one does have added bonuses of having plus and plus some counters. So. Yeah, it, it immediately reminded me of Illyrius and Raptured uh, as like a card that is just there on power level and probably doesn't need much help. But unlike Illyrius, I think Grackmaw will be able to be slotted into like a deck that makes use of its value a lot better it doesn't need to get blinked or anything cute so i'm yeah. I'm, I'm pretty big on it just says here here's my mid-range idiot deal with it twice good luck yeah. <laughs> keep a lookout for the new card mid-range idiot which is going to be coming out <laughs> later as well that's going to be a good it's going to have green in its casting cost that's all you need to know <laughs> of course absolutely if i go to the next one on my list it's going to be uh something that i i think is i don't know if it's like in terms of standard, I can see it being like a, a really, really good sideboard card. I don't think we main deck it in any way, shape, or form, but it's Thieving Skydiver, which is one in a blue for a merfolk rogue. It's a 2-1, but it has Kicker of X, 
and X can't be zero, but it has a kicker of X, and it's a 2-1 two, two with flying, but when Thieving Skydiver enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, gain control of a target artifact with converted mana cost X or less. If that artifact is an equipment, attach it to Thieving Skydiver. And I look at that and think, okay, this could be a lot of fun if I put it in a sideboard and bring it in, and I can just say, okay, I'm going to take your ember cleave or your great henge or let's be more realistic i'm taking your witch's oven so you can not do all those sacrificey things you might want to do uh it just seems like a really super flexible card that doesn't belong in any main deck or any main deck of a, of a blue deck but i do see it being like a really awesome sideboard card and then capacities beyond this there's probably a lot of uh ways in which to use thieving skydiver in a lot of other formats from historic to I, I would assume maybe have some some of the older formats, but in Commander this looks really really awesome as well. Uh, I like this card a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say when when we were talking about it, I was like, this is like Sean brought up vintage for Seagate Stormcaller. This card, I think the reason that you can't kicker can't be X is because of vintage would be my my best guess is because if it was available in vintage, you just go blue bl like blue colorless, steal your mocks. And like that, that would be pretty messed up. But in other formats, like you could steal things like Aether Vile, stealing things like Amulet of Vigor. Uh, there's definitely some really, really, really good targets for this card in in like say Modern or, or Legacy and stuff like that. But like you said, I, I do expect it more in sideboards, and possibly if Standard becomes you know if the the equipment matters style decks become popular, uh, I could see this stealing a lot of that that uh, that white equipment. So. Ozoliths and Stone Coil Serpents, beware. Oh, yeah. Because Stone this Coil can Serpent. steal Stone Coil Serpent for only one kicker. That's it might cool. end up seeing played just even just as a sideboard card against aggro decks. If if the aggro decks are playing Stone Coil Serpent, Ozolith equipment, could be good enough. That's a good... Especially something like Shadow Spear. Now you get a 3 2 lifelinker. Yeah. It's yeah. nice. That's a good point about Stone Coil Serpent. I didn't even think about that, about that either. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Now I. Add another check to the list of why I like this card. Because I do not like Stone Coil Serpent. I don't know why. Play, it's just, it just drives me nuts. Just play Shatters. I guess Shoot. this is your Shatter now. Yeah, true. There you go. It's it's my Shattering Skydiver. Eh? 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 We'll move on. And Max, <laughs> what is your third card that you're digging right now? Uh, so the next one on the list, uh, the first two were kind of just like good stuff cards. Maybe not a ton of synergy, but this one is Acquisitions Expert which is definitely a synergy card. And it's uh, one in a black for a one-two human rogue, so party. It enters the battlefield, and this has some words on it. Target opponent reveals a number of cards from their hand equal to the number of creatures in your party. And then you choose one of those cards, and then that player discards that card. So if you just play this with no other creatures on the battlefield, they only show you one card, and then you pick it. It's very much like Burglar Rat. They can cast the removal spell in response, so you'll have zero creatures in your party. They show you zero cards. They don't discard anything, so it can be way worse than Burglar Rat if you don't have at least one other creature on the battlefield to like be a buffer against the removal spell on this. But one of the things I'm excited to do is hit this off Collected Company in Historic. I'm not even that super excited just to play this in Standard, but I want to hit this off of Coco and Thought Seize my opponent. Like That, that sounds... You know, I think Coco will help the party decks in Historic, but because it's just a card that can get you two party members. And I think Acquisitions Expert's going to be like a slam dunk in any party. Uh, I mean, if you're me, you just find zero party members. <laughs> <laughs> you send out the invitation, 
come one, come all collected company, and then you just never find anybody. So. Collected company flavor wise does work very well with party flavor wise. I like it. True. But this, I think this card is going to be if if party's good, it's going to have this the acquisitions expert. I I just think that it really gives the deck that extra level of interaction that these types of just like idiot creature decks tend to lack. Very much like Kite Sail Freebooter. Sean, I want you to make a collected company deck that has no party members in it, just so you can call the deck this party sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Go get right on that. Perfect. And when you are uh, working hard and putting that collected company deck, there's probably something else that you're looking to put in uh, with any of the other cards in standard. What's next on your list? Yeah, so this card, while not very exciting to hit off of collected company, can actually be found on collected company at least, but it is a one in a black. 2-1 named Null Priest of Oblivion. I think this card's pretty powerful. And then it also has Medicine Lifelink. So one mana or a two mana, 2-1 two Medicine Lifelinker. We've seen this before. Very powerful effect. Good against red decks. You know, rarely gets blocked. If it does, you gain two life. Good card. But uh, it also has Kicker, three and a black. When it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. All right. First thing I noticed about this card... No, like, downside. You can reanimate any creature you want. Pretty powerful effect. So basically it unburial rights, um, which was, back in the day, was a five-mana reanimation spell. So this is one mana more for a 2-1 Menace Lifelink, and then also reanimates another creature. Pretty powerful effect. There aren't too many ways to get cards into the graveyard currently, outside of milling yourself or blocking in combat. But if we ever get back to that spot in Magic, you know, back in the glory days where everything was a mid-range battle, and we didn't draw cards, it was all creature combat. Getting a 2-1 Menace Lifelinker that also comes back with another, or comes into play and brings another creature back, kind of breaks those matchups open. Uh, so I can see this card getting played. I can also see this card not getting played because there's no good ways to fill up your graveyard efficiently. So I think this card is one of the higher ceiling cards of the set, and I'm very excited to see what this card can do. Yeah, this seems like a card that uh, maybe not right now, but maybe after another set or two is all of a sudden like a, a super, super powerful card. Yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe that's what it is. I mean, we've seen a lot of these kinds of effects before. I mean, there was one in standard called Ishereth the Awakened that never, ever saw any play. Um, so, I mean, maybe this time around it will get played. So, I don't know. Lots to see here. I'm excited. This is another card that's going to keep scavenging is well-employed throughout its tenure <laughs> yeah, in that's... standard. That's a good point. I, uh, oh, man. Never mind. This More job security for scavenging games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Let's back that truck up. This card's it. Go Throw home. it out in the garbage can. Yeah, get rid of it. We're, yeah. we're, we're done with it. Karnak, what's next on your list? Uh, so sticking to the theme of cards that are probably bad against scavenging news, <laughs> I've actually seen this card starting to see play already in this, in this format. Uh, it's one of my favorite cards, and it is Malakir Rebirth. Uh, it is one black mana for an instant. Choose target creature. You'll lose two life until end of turn. That creature gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control. Um, and then it's a dual face card, so uh, it does have it does come into play tapped as a black mana source if you want it to be. A lot of cool things going on here. Basically, obviously adding the like being the black land that you need if you if you really need it. But the other thing is is. Malakir Rebirth is very, very flexible in the way that you can use it. On its face, it's like, my creature is dying to a removal spell. I can play Malakir Rebirth, and it will just come back, right? And now the removal spells just have truly been countered. 
But you can also do it with like sacrifice things. The thing that I've seen a lot is Archfiend's Vessel. So for those that don't remember Archfiend's Vessel, that's the one black one one with lifelink that when it dies, it comes back or like, sorry, when it dies, it goes to your graveyard. But if you reanimate it, um, it comes back as a 5-5 five, five demon instead of the Archfiend's Vessel. Uh, another cool thing about Archfiend's Vessel is that it's a cleric. So that does definitely matter. But like I've seen people just go like turn one Archfiend's Vessel, turn two Malakir Rebirth on my Archfiend's Vessel, and then Village writes it. And then it sacrifices, you draw two cards, and you just have a 5-5 five, five flyer. And that, that's, like, pretty powerful on your turn, too. So, like, a lot of really cool things that can happen with this card. And I don't know. I, I think just being there as just, like, an answer to a removal spell or having something like a Malakir Rebirth or, you know, keeping a creature from a from a Wrath of God uh, style effect. And then the, the super, super value of having it be a land, too, is just incredible. So I think this card, even though it is bad against Scavenger News, technically, is probably okay. Yeah, I remember the... There was a card like this in War of the Spark, which obviously just rotated out, that I always wished was super playable, but it just wasn't. It was Kaya's Ghost Form, which was like a, yeah. was a single black enchantment. And the reason, and I think the reason why that card just kind of sucked was because it, it was an enchantment and not an instant. And yeah. so having having that instant part, I think, is great. And I, they kind of balance it out by the thing comes back tapped, which isn't really that much of a drawback. But yeah, yeah it's a really, really interesting card. Yeah, I, and then also I like Kaya gonna... didn't become a land. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I think uh, we're going to be in an interesting spot with these dual face cards. I think this one is a good spot to bring it up where I brought up the cleric earlier. I think you could just run like a 30 land blue white control deck where you count this as land 27 through 30. But in your mono black sacrifice deck, you just play 20, 24 lands, but you count this as land 21 through 24. So I think we're going to be in a spot with deck building where like, okay, this card is my flood insurance land. Whereas in the other one, it's like, okay, this is my, like, I'm not in a matchup for this type of card. I'm just going to play it as a land. So it's really going to be really interesting to see which which of these dual face cards you're going to count as a land in an emergency or count as a spell in an emergency. So Yeah, I totally agree on that. And speaking of dual face cards, there's the next one on my list, which is uh, something I think already I'm having a lot of fun playing. But again, you had to bring up the ooze. Now I'm looking at this card going, well, this is... This is probably not something I want to play right now. And that's Agadim's Awakening, which is that's the it's a, another dual face card. And so this one on the front side of it, it's it's X black, black, black for a sorcery return from your graveyard to the battlefield. Any number of target creature cards that each have a different converted mana cost X or less. And this is something that I and, and then on the other side is Agadim the Undercrypt, which is a, uh, a black land that taps for. Uh, swamp, which stands for black. Uh, but as it enters the battlefield, you have to pay three life. If you don't, it enters the battlefield tapped. It's a really, really cool card. I've been playing it in the, the blue-black rogue deck uh, as a lot of fun. It's basically it's basically kind of like a, a, a black collected company in that way. It's like you play, you play this and all of a sudden get anywhere from one to two to three. And normally when you're playing it, you're playing it for X equals one or two. And you're just yeah. getting like some of the best stuff that you want back in, in that spot. And it's a lot of fun. But now that I know that there's a, going to be more graveyard hate, maybe this is not going to be the, the card that I want it to be. One of the coolest things that I've seen with it, pardon me while I scroll here. One of the coolest things that I've seen with the card is that, so for those that haven't seen the mythic one, the mythic dual face cards, you do have to pay three life on the other side. And I think it was uh, Andrea Mangucci who like uh, the uh, was first that I saw playing the list, but he was playing like a uh, playing quad of the mythic, uh, or sorry, I guess 
quad isn't quite right. He was playing Octobull? I don't know. <laughs> he was playing eight of them, right? Uh, four Agonies Awakening and four uh, Shatter Skull Smashings. And then playing Scourge of the Skyclaves, which Scourge of the Skyclaves is a is a two-mana, one black, and a colorless star star that basically checks both people's uh, life totals and then has power and toughness equal to uh, the one that's furthest away from, or, or closest to 20, but the difference between it and 20. So I'll just read the thing. It says, Scourge of the, Scourge of the Sky Quest, power and toughness are equal to 20 minus the highest life total among players. So it was really cool because his deck was aggressive, right? So he's like, play my one drop, attack you, but also like shock myself off of like Shatter Skulls, or Lightning Bolt myself off of Shatter Skull Smashing. I'm at 17, you're at 19. Play Scourge of the Skyclaves. Next turn, I'll attack you again. Scourge gets bigger, but then I'll also Lightning Bolt myself again. So then, like, at, you know, basically by, like, turn three or four, Scourge of the Skyclaves was something like a 7-7. Seven, seven. And it was just like, well, do you want to attack me? Because <laughs> I actually said this on stream, and it was, like, really... It, like, I didn't really see what, what I was saying, but it was, like, kind of funny. It was like, if you attack me, you better damn kill me. Because otherwise, my Scourge of the Skyclaves will be huge. <laughs> like... <laughs> like my opponent was at like three and i was at like i was at like 10 and unfortunately for them they didn't kill me i went down to like three and i was like well now i have two 17 17 so like you're just dead so like <laughs> i love it i love it there's plenty of cards for us to look at i know uh we had a like a bunch on our list and i think we kind of went in depth with uh with a good three of them but i think we can also uh kind of give our, our quick honorable mentions to uh the, the other two cards on our list so i'll just kind of say the say the cards plus a quick bit about them uh, on my end uh Zerithsan, the trickster it's basically ninjutsu on a rogue where if you if you hit your opponent's face you get to reanimate something from their graveyard and put it immediately onto the battlefield so you put that into a rogue deck you mill them for a bunch put some of their best stuff in the in the graveyard early and then on turn four if you have a flyer out there, this thing comes out, switches out, hits face, and puts their best card in their graveyard onto your, or best permanent, I should say. It doesn't even have to be a, a creature or anything. Just take their best permanent and put it onto your side. I loved it. And then the other one, Archon of Ameria. It's the two, three, three mana white creature that has flying, but each player can't cast more than one spell each turn, and non-basic lanes your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. I love everything about that. I'm going to play it in some type of control deck. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Sean, let's go to you. What are your two kind of honorable mention cards? So we kind of already talked about one of them. Agadim's Awakening was number four on my list. You know, the reanimate spell you already touched on a little bit. So I'll just jump into my fifth one, which is Lulling Mage's Domination. It's another one of those X mind control effects. They printed them before. They'll always do it. Um, blue, 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 X. But this time around, it has a cost reduction. The spell costs three less to cast. If it targets a creature whose controller has eight or more cards in their graveyard, Gain control target creature with converting mana cost X. So the rogue decks, melling your opponent, we're playing cards like Into the Story, who cares about their graveyard size. Um, so this is just a mind control that's pretty cheap that can steal any creature late game, which is pretty exciting for, you know, probably between three and six mana. Pretty excited. This one might get played, might not, but one of the, I love mind control effects. Heck yeah. Max, what are your two honorable mentions? Okay, so I have Zagras, Thief of Heartbeats, and this is the big... Uh, party finisher for Rakdos uh, costs one less to cast has flying death touch haste it's a 4-4 four four, so it just beats really hard gives all your creatures you control death touch so you just get to alpha strike and also your creatures get planeswalker death touch so you can just poke a high loyalty planeswalker and kill it this basically 
makes it so you don't instantly lose to Ugin, which is kind of cool. And then Spoils of Adventure is the other card. It's four white blue for a instant that lets you gain three and draw three, but it costs one less for each creature in your party. Gadwick is still in standard and it's a wizard. And uh, the Skyclave Cleric's a cleric, so maybe you can get this down to five or four banana in a blue-white control deck, and then you're looking at some pretty good card draws. So those are my honorable mentions. Yeah, Zargas is uh, Rakdos, but they look like Kratos. Yes. <laughs> looking like the god of parties. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's always a party with Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins. What are your two honorable mentions that you have? Yeah, I'm a huge party. Um, so uh, I'm cheating once again because I cheated in the beginning. My first honorable mention is great. It'll break arena. It makes infinite tokens, essentially. Uh, that is Scoot Swarm. It's a three mana, one, one, green and two. If you have, uh, it basically has landfall. If you don't have six lands, it just makes a one, one, nothing, nothing too spectacular. If this is your six land or more, uh, it makes a copy of Scoot Swarm itself. So your first Scoot Swarm will make one Scoot Swarm. And then you play another land. And then each Scoot Swarm makes another one, so you get two, so then four, and then eight, and then 16, and then 32, and then 64, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Arena has problems when you get into the hundreds. Uh, it'll tell you to do other things. Otherwise, they'll shut the game down and kick you out, which is probably why Arena's broken right now. I but... say, you could have just shortened that phrase to Arena has problems. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. So that's why it's, I think it's like really cool. It's a lot of fun. My next one kind of went with it. This is where I'm cheating. But Nahiri's Lithoforming either works exactly how it's supposed to, or not exactly how it's supposed to. But right now, if you sacrifice dual face cards to it on Arena, it doesn't work. So I'm moving on to my other other honorable mention, uh, which is Felidar Retreat. And this one is a four mana enchantment, and I think it's super sweet. White and three, uh, it has landfall. And then you can either choose to make a two-two cat, or you can choose to get a plus one, plus one counter on all of your tokens, or sorry, all of your creatures. And then uh, those creatures gain Vigilance until end of turn, uh, which obviously works really well with the Scoots uh, Swarm. You can just, like, start making tokens, start making them huge. Even just Felidar Retreat by itself, putting in, like, you're just like, okay, the first couple of times I'll make cats, and then, all right, I have enough cats, and I'll just make them big, and then attack you with them. So uh, really, really cool. It kind of does, like, a, people have been saying it's like making a Field of Dead kind of uh, feel, but a lot easier to interact with Felidar Retreat than, you know, Field of Dead. So it's not that scary. Yeah. As it were. I like those cards as well, just because I look at Philadelphia Retreat and I'm like, okay, cool. There's my win condition for my blue-white control deck. Yeah. Instead of what it used to be, which is like, okay, well, I can just plus to fairy, then tuck to fairy, then plus, <laughs> then tuck. And, uh, oh, boy. Sean, Sean's getting excited, I think. Hey, look out. <laughs> I mean, I do love cards that don't have any value the turn you play them, but boy, they make some value down the line. Yeah. One of my favorite cards of all time was Assemble the Legion, which was a nice one. Oh, well, I value all of your opinions, and I value the the wonderful cards that you uh, have listed off for this episode. But I think that's a good place to, to kind of cut it right there, because I know now I'm hoping that we can jump into Magic Arena and start playing with some of these cards. And that's what I'm going to be trying to do. And when I'm doing it, I'm going to be trying to get better at the game as I play along. So as we wrap up this episode, I would like to know what you're doing to get better at the game and where people might be able to find you on the internet doing it. Sean, let's start with you. Yeah, I will be playing, I mean, hopefully some standard uh, either tonight or tomorrow, uh, Get a, getting a hold of these new cards and then possibly jumping into Historic in the next couple of days to see what standard cards are going to be doing to Historic. I mean, maybe a lot of cool things, maybe nothing at all. Who knows? So my guess is Goblins is still going to be busted in Historic, but who knows at this point? Sultai too. Um, but yeah, you can find me on twitch.tv slash MrToolShed and Twitter at MrToolShed. Come drop me some blue-black and blue-white brews and say hi. 
Sounds fantastic. How about our special guest, Max? What are you going to do to get better at the game this week, and where can people find you doing it? Well, I'm going to be playing Standard. I'm going to be doing the CFB Pro Showdown on Saturday, and then I may or may not compete Sunday. Depends on if I just want to skip the ladder or not. Um, and you can find me at at Easy Mode MTG on Twitter and Twitch.tv slash Mr. Easy Mode. Of course, Easy Mode is E Z Z M O D E for that. Two Z's, well. two Z's, the double Z's. And speaking of putting us to Z's, Conan Hawk, where what are you doing to get better at the game this week, and where can people find you doing it? Hey, I'm the life of the party. It's you said true. so earlier. It's true. I want to make a magic card called Life of the Party that is you, uh, in some way, shape, or form, like in an actual party. But it's like the it's it's like you're just kind of you're just there. It's the opposite of the of the one that came out in Theros where it was like oh, with the, the satyr, the satyr that's going crazy. It's like <laughs> yeah. that, but the reverse. Yeah, everyone else is partying around me, and I'm just like, get off my lawn. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Uh, much like my 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 co-hosts, I will be playing a lot of the new format on Arena, hopefully. Uh, I'll be playing a bunch of the ladder, trying to figure out what the best deck is uh, for this weekend. I don't know what I'm going to do this weekend. Maybe I'll join Max in the CFB Pro Showdown. Maybe I'll find some tournaments to play. Uh, but definitely want to maybe jump into some SCGs next week. Uh, that'll be pretty sweet. That They start back up on Monday, I believe. So I'll be doing that for sure. If you want to see my journey, see what I think is the best deck for the weekend, jump on to twitch.tv slash Conan Hawk. I stream Monday through Friday. So tomorrow will be my my last one. I'm, I Obviously, I guess this podcast probably won't be out by then, but you know, you can always find me on, the, on that. And then uh, also you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Conan Hawk. And of course, if you want to know where I'm going to be doing, obviously it's going to be playing Mono Red Burn and just going full ag. I'm just kidding. I'm going to be playing Demir Brogues. We all know that. That's what's going to be happening. <laughs> but if people want to know how that's going or where things are going on with that, you can always find me on Twitter and Twitch at Brasky1142. And of course, you can uh, find out more about us by visiting us at swagoy.com to learn more about the Magic team as well as the teams for our other games, including Valorant and Hearthstone. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Swagoy Gaming, which we would love to hear from you as well and of course if you're listening to this podcast make sure to subscribe to it or you can give us a rating or even write us a review we'd always love to see that as well but whatever you do we just hope to see you around next week because next time will be just as much fun see you then bye bye everyone bye, bye. bye.